Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, 3M, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Welcome to MotorWeek podcast number 87. I am John Davis. Thank you very much for joining us today. And here we are in Studio C with our producer, writer, and two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Hello, John. Our road test producer, Ben Davis. Hello, my friends. And, oh, wow, that was, uh, that was uh, mysterious and mysterious. Our writer, Patrick Lucas. I'm excited to be here. And assistant producer, Greg Carlos. Good to be here with you fine people yet again. Oh, my goodness. Everybody is up for this one. Here we go. And we've got uh, the lightning round today, as we usually do. We've also got our MotorWeek mailbag in a few minutes. But first, we're going to run down some of the vehicles that we've been testing lately on MotorWeek. First up, Kia Sorento. Uh, a redesign that is not quite a total redesign, but pretty darn close. Uh, what do you think? I think it's pretty elegant, actually. And some of the some of the options that you can get in, like panoramic sunroof right. and stuff, that might really be the difference between somebody either buying a Grand Cherokee or a vehicle or, or the Sorento, because really there's not a whole lot of fresh faces in this uh, segment. You know, for a, a midsize crossover in, in a, a segment that's getting increasingly uh, complex and competitive, I was a little surprised that they put all the money in it to put a new chassis in it and yet didn't really change the look of it. Was that smart, you think? I, I thought it had a nice premium feel inside and out. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it looked pretty sharp. Um, you get some LED daytime runners, mm-hmm. I think, on it. Um, I just had a problem with the, the V6. That's the most powerful engine you can get in it. I still thought it felt it felt a little flat. Didn't feel like it was kind of struggling to keep up. I think it was fighting with the transmission. Um, and, the, and that was that's that's a change in that engine. That's a different it's a engine. It's a 3.3 instead yeah. of a 3.5. Yeah. Yeah. So a little smaller would it come from the the Zara? Yeah. Now it's several models yeah. between Kia and yeah, Honda. No, sure. uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't get the two liter turbo that you can get That's in only Honda. Yeah. In, in correct. The big thing was when they redid it a few years ago and it went from a body on frame truck to a crossover and the big problems with it were ride and handling, it rode really rough. Uh it wasn't very comfortable inside to drive. And it was very noisy. Uh, with the Santa Fe chassis, they've pretty much eliminated most of that. It's still kind of noisy, I think. Uh, the ride's much improved. Uh, it still can be harsh at times. I think overall, they kind of improved what they needed to improve. And but, but they didn't. They you know they put a, most every other manufacturer when they put that much effort into it, they'd call it all new. I mean, you know, a new chassis is a big deal. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, starts at twenty five to me. Which sounds very good, but the one we had in was pushing forty. Yeah, it was expensive. It was nice. I'm not sure. I, uh, it's forty thousand dollars nice. But you get flex steer. I mean, can you put sure. a price on that? <laughs> Why well, explain what that is? <laughs> the flex steer is the three different uh, steering modes that you get that essentially just change the effort. Um, yeah. You get normal, comfort, and sport, which is pretty much in all the Kias and Hyundai's right now. And um, it really doesn't add much feel. It's just essentially changing the weight. And, I thought. Uh, it was- Still a huge issue. The steering was like, in comfort mode. It's scary how little input it takes to like, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, change your path of driving. I always had it in sport just because that felt safe, even at low or low speeds. Just because I mean, there's just too much boost in the other two settings. The Uvo infotainment I thought was very nice. It was good before. I think they've made it even better. Very easy to use. 
It strikes me on the steering that we're we're going back to where we used to criticize, especially Detroit automakers, for having such light steering that basically the car felt like you could turn on a dime when you really couldn't, and you get yourself into trouble. We seem to be headed back that way with more and more manufacturers adding those kind of systems. Yeah. But yeah, it's all electronic now, ones and zeros. And but but all in all, uh, it's interesting. Would comparing it to the Hyundai Santa Fe, did you like it as much? I think they've done a good job of differentiating the two. I mean, the Santa Fe to me is much more luxurious. Mm-hmm. It definitely has a more comfortable ride, um, a little more serious, or at least more traditional feel to the. Yeah, Sorento. the Sorento seems to be a little more rough around the edges, a little, a little rougher ride, a little more SUV ish. Yeah, as far as looks go, I think the Santa Fe is geared more towards a sportier, more uh, younger buyer, right. whereas the Sorento looks. A little more sophisticated. Really? From an exterior standpoint, I think the grill and everything look a little more grown up. Uh, I would say the opposite. Uh, up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I think the Santa Fe definitely has a, you know, more of an upscale look to it. I don't know. Because I, I recently was driving both of them in the, uh, in the shootout. Right. And just having them both together. One looked a little more upscale, elegant, like you would be, there'd be more of an of a opportunity to valet it necessarily than a Santa well, Fe. Well, are we talking Maybe. about Santa Fe Sport or Santa Fe Long Wheelbase? Talking about Santa oh, Fe Long Santa Wheelbase. Fe. Okay. But they still, I mean, Santa Fe Long Wheelbase and Sport, their faces are almost identical, <laughs> just with a different, one more bar in the, uh, the Long Wheelbase. But I'd agree with Robinson. I mean, I feel like uh-huh. the... Uh, the Hyundai does look a little bit more refined, and the key is for maybe the, the sportier and younger buyer. Hmm. I'd flip it. Yeah, I think we're split right on the table. That's pretty interesting. Well, that's why our road Agreed tests on Motor Week are a combination of everyone's thoughts because uh, we we differ on vehicles just like everybody else in the real world. Now that we're in not in the real world, speaking of unworldy, um, big cars, full size cars, not something that we test a lot of these days. However, um, it's a market where a lot of manufacturers lot are of what. Seems like we've had a lot this year. Well, we have, and that's, a, you know, in the last couple of years, all of a sudden, all the mainstream manufacturers have looked at these bigger cars, and they've said, you know, there are flagships, and we should do something more than just a fleet car. Uh, Ford over with the Taurus, and now Chevrolet with a new Impala, which is very different from the outgoing Impala, which clearly was a fleet car. So, you've had a chance to experience it. What do you think about the new Impala? It's vastly better. Um you know than the rental car in Palo previously, but uh, it's it's okay. it's still not great to me. But it's definitely vastly better. It looks great. You can definitely see the Camaro influence. Uh, it drives nice. Interior is still not great, and that GM greenish blue aqua <laughs> lighting they have and everything is getting not old. just the lighting, <laughs> the stitching. It all matches. Yeah, it's it's just, just they don't want to get away from that color. Yeah, apparently, it's getting old. That's interesting. I I like the car from the aspect of I thought the styling is is quite terrific, and I thought it just looks so much more upscale than anything they've done before. It's a, it's a Chevrolet. You get in it, and it's got that twin cockpit theme. And I thought the material quality was was better. It is based on the XTS uh, Cadillac chassis, so it's definitely moved it upscale. But I gather from from what I've heard around this table, you didn't think upscale enough. No, I mean I. I did like what they did with the nav. They've got the new 3D screen mm-hmm. uh, while you're doing the nav. And I thought that was a nice touch. And it was a little bit closer to a Cadillac type of um, uh, setup than, than you would normally see in a Chevrolet. Um, I, 
what they did with the screen lifting up and turning into a, a storage bin compartment right. now with a button and it, it uh, used a motor to go up, I just feel like it's a little gimmicky for me. I, I, I like that you have more storage, but it seems like they maybe tried too hard to make it something cool when That's it not really the doesn't need to be we've like seen that. that on. Mm-hmm. We've seen that before somewhere. Yeah, it's been in Chevy. I think. Yeah. Well, Chevy's done it, but it hasn't been motorized like it is. You could just slide the button, uh, and it would just pop up uh, you know, on a spring load. Gotcha. But now it just seems like they're trying to make it upscale. And some people liked it. Actually, a lot of people liked it. I just, To me, it just seemed like a gimmick. Well, well if you had to compare it against uh, – yeah, you know, we haven't done a side by side comparison, but let's let's talk about Taurus. That's its main competitor, and there's also a couple of new com- competitors. And you have Avalon, which sort of sets the market for this. How do you think it sets within that? Is it comparable? Is it not quite there yet? What do you think? Well, we do have a com- uh, com- comparison of all of them uh, coming up pretty soon, so you can tune in for that. But uh, I think it's definitely the nicest looking. It probably rides. Hmm. It certainly has a better ride than the Taurus. I don't know about the Avalon. The Avalon's probably one of the nicest riding vehicles out there as far as long-distance comfort. What about the uh, the Cadenza, the newest uh, entry? I haven't really spent much time in that one. I mean, I I was trying to think on this car, and I I love the look outside. I thought the interior was very comfortable. I can't remember, and I think this just speaks to it. I can't remember it driving particularly well that it blew me away. Like, mm-hmm. The thing I remember is the looks of it. And maybe that's what it's, what the full-size car class It's quiet. Was about. That was the thing Very that I, yeah, I took away from it was it was just extremely quiet inside and comfortable with, I think, almost six inches of combined front and rear leg room, uh, more than the previous Impala. I actually question Chevrolet's continuing to build the old Impala because they're building it only as a fleet car, and that seems to me that sort of damages the brand that they uh, should have just stopped. I get what they call it, Impala Classic or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, well, they probably got somebody I've already made. They got to do something with well, it. Well, yeah, and that yeah. way, the the new Impala is not rolling around as a police car or, yeah. or well, that's rental, true. Car. rental car. Or and a that, rental that, car. That would water it down as well. Okay, let's move on to something completely different. The Fiat 500L, for those of you that have not been paying attention, Fiat is uh, going to be expanding its product line uh, above the 500. The 500L is a five-door hatchback wagon style slash multi-purpose, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I mean, I think it's pretty hard to, to uh, put a, uh, a moniker on it. What did you guys think of it? It's funny that you're having trouble putting a moniker mm-hmm. on it because it seemed like I actually went on the event and even Fiat kind of shied away from putting it into one category. Um, but I think it's pretty obvious that the competition is the countrymen. I mean, that's direct competition. Uh did they say why it doesn't have an, any kind of all-wheel drive available? Because that's, they, that, that seems to be a that, real that was the problem first, with the competition. That was the first question, I mean, out of my mouth. And, you know, the answer that Fiat PR would give you is we're exploring options. They're not going to tell you that all-wheel drive is coming. But I believe they did say that the platform is capable of having, of, of having oh, all-wheel drive. So you would think that's the natural next step. Sure. Um, which I would I would like, and it already has the 1.4 liter multi air uh, coming from the Abart. Uh, also has the Coney uh, selective dam- frequency selective dampers, but these are on all four corners instead of just the the front of the Abart. So it I'll say it it, it kind of grows on you. I enjoy driving it. I mean, it's it's very roomy, yet it's still felt oh, yeah, agile like a, a, when, like the uh, 500. When you get the panoramic sunroof, and then it already has the wrap around. 
windshield in the front. Mm -hmm. It really does feel extremely roomy, which is it's, it's a cool feeling when it's a sunny day and you've got the sun coming through the, the, the panoramic sunroof and just tons of tons of vision. So I was surprised at how much room they did back in there. Yeah. And it was I didn't spend a whole lot of time in it, but it seemed decent to drive. Uh, I'm not so sure it needs all-wheel drive. I mean, front-wheel drive is fine for what 95% of people would drive it for, and uh, you know, I'd rather have it keep the price down. Even on the trekking, <laughs> which is obviously aimed for the North American market with you know all the uh, rugged styling. Well, you know, Kia with the Soul has done just fine without uh, all-wheel drive, and I, I actually think that's more of a competitor to to the 500L than uh, than I think. Uh, the uh, mini is, but uh, I felt like it was a small wagon that just basically uses an, an awful lot of uh, smart packaging and happened to handle more like a European car than the, your typical vehicle that size. I thought, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, they fixed a few things, uh, including – well, I can't say what they, about fi- they fixed them. Yeah, yeah. it's – it's not the same platform as the 500, which people might think it is, but it isn't. It's completely different. When you do get the uh, manual shifter, it's not up on the uh, right below the center stack. Mm-hmm. It's actually down uh, on the floor, which is nice, more comfortable. More traditional. For, right. Um, seating position's a little bit better. You don't feel like you're sitting on top of the car, which is always nice. And they added the new dual-clutch transmission um, the automatic standard automatic will be coming later. But did you find it better than most? A little bit jerky. I mean, that uh, tends I, I would, to be. The... I wouldn't say better than most. It was. It's competent. It's quick, like most mm-hmm. dual clutches are. It seemed to hold on to gears a little bit long, which it felt like you were in a sport mode, but the car doesn't have a sport mode. And it's, did a little bit of searching, but uh, you know you can't really say any transmission is just an awful transmission anymore. Yeah. Let's move on to something even more different. Unless Patrick, do you have anything else you want to add? Nope. Okay. This is the. Um, I'm good. They're pointing at you, Patrick. I agree. Like, you I don't, did I'm not like sure what he's done yet. Yeah, so. Okay. Uh, Volkswagen XL1, an experimental high mileage vehicle. Brian Robinson. Yes. Why don't you uh, take the handle on this? Um, that's basically uh, what it is. It's a no holds barred. Um, what can we do if we just try to get ultimate fuel economy out of a car? And uh, if you haven't seen it yet, it looks similar to the original Honda Insight. Um, it's the most aerodynamic car ever. Uh, carbon fiber all around. And uh, it's got a 0.8 uh, liter two-cylinder diesel. Tiny little thing. A plug-in wow. hybrid with a 30-mile electric range. And uh, gets top speed is about 100 miles an hour. And, uh, you know, fuel economy, they're saying it'll get 250 miles a gallon. Um I'm not sure that that's really realistic. I drove it for about an hour and it got 147, including some autobahn time, you know, top speed. And so, I mean, it's certainly there, but it's definitely a no compromise. There's no sound deadening. Um, it's got a DSG trans, which is really nice, but the brakes are extremely noisy. Um, there's no side mirrors. They have cameras on the side, which they've actually got DOT approved um, and will be in future Volkswagen products. Um, did you think, besides that technology, did you yeah. think the car itself is an exercise where they can basically take what they've done there and apply it to cars that would be more mass market? I mean, the plug-in hybrid system worked really well, and I think that will definitely be coming to other Volkswagens. But uh, I'm not sure. sure. They're only going to make 250 of these. 
And I, I'm not so sure people want to give up all their creature comforts just to get. I'm sure there are a few people out there that. There's probably at it, least but, 250 people out there that will. Yeah. Will, Pony up for it. But. Yeah, I think people will still want, you know, real cars. There, you know, like I said, there's a certain amount of people that would want kind of an eco freak mobile to, to wave the flag. <laughs> but I think more and more people are wanting just a lot better fuel economy out of their regular cars. They're not talking about even bringing it to the U.S. at this point, are they? Correct. It's still up in the air. They said they would love to if they can make a case for it. Um, they've only built 50 so far. They got. 200 more coming that they're going to make some updates to, and they'll decide if they're going to bring any of those to the U.S. at that time. Interesting um, effort and from a company that basically long uh, wasn't interested in hybrids, and now they've actually married their diesel heritage with hybrid technology. Yeah, and we'll definitely see the technology in other Volkswagen products if we don't see that specific car. They call this their one-liter car, Yeah, which uh, – is not exactly it has to do with what going to 100 kilometers on a liter of fuel something that like right? that yeah the yeah. uh the european it's a yeah, european miles per gallon goal type, yeah. yeah okay uh moving right along let's uh right take along. a look at uh, our uh, lightning uh, round and here we're going to ask a panel our panel a question and uh, Joe Ligo is here to handle the bell. And after Intern two minutes, extraordinaire. you know, he's, uh, he's been with us all summer, and we're glad to have had you with us, Joe. Best summer ever. At the end of two minutes, uh, Joe will hit the bell. Just give us a sample, Joe. And we'll shut off our conversation. You don't have to hit it quite that hard. We're not all he's deaf. Eager. He's eager, folks. He's eager. Uh, here we go. Uh, with all the rave reviews, we were just talking about this, and having just discussed it, the new Chevrolet Impala seems like it will be a uh, huge hit for the brand. In fact, Consumer Reports recently scored the Impala the highest among all sedans they've ever rated. Is it really that good, and what competitors rival it? Well, we talked a lot about that uh, already, but so a little, a little more insight. Do you would you have rated it? You know the way that the Consumer Reports did. That. I mean, they were certainly high with praise. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what I can add to what we've already said, but if you read Consumer Reports reviews i mean they're not they're not looking at the same stuff you or i look at they they have a very specific things they run down with like child seats and um they do very specific testing very specific things that you know i was just like crash testing car makers can just kind of design a car that'll do good on those tests that's not necessarily great in the real world i said that's how i look at it but i mean i certainly wouldn't classify it as the greatest sedan that we've ever tested no i wouldn't either so, um, i do think though that they they it does it's one more source of information that consumers should take a look at when they're getting ready to buy a car i mean a lot of people only look at consumer reports and i think that's just as flawed as if you never look at them uh they are they do uh represent a, a huge number of uh people as far as their taste and so forth so they carry a lot of weight for sure i think more importantly it speaks well for detroit that they fact that they here's a detroit based automaker that has never i don't think one's ever gotten this kind of praise for a sedan from consumer reports before and when you marry that with other recent good reviews they've given a lot of of a domestic product i think it says a lot about where we are with car design right now that detroit's not playing second fiddle to anybody else anymore Joe, I guess we uh, we're, we're we're out of breath and we didn't hit the time, but hit the bell and we'll move on. Okay, finally, let's go to our Motor Week mailbag. Remember, if you submit your questions and if we choose to answer your question on this podcast, 
You'll win a fabulous Motor Week t-shirt. So here we go. And this is from Christopher. My brother lives in Europe, and he loves the choice of cars available there. Uh, Super Minis from Peugeot, Renault, Vauxhall. Diesel engines are available in almost every model. And MPG figures that exceed the cars we get here in the States. Why doesn't the American market get these vehicles? We could do a whole hour on this question. Who would like to start? Well, I'll address a couple things on that. Uh, First of all, um, the MPG figures are not as good. Well... As it's people a different think they testing. Because, right, the EU does much different testing than we do. And their numbers are like 10, like higher. Right, uh, substantially so, higher, but they don't do as much low-speed testing and combined. Correct. So um, even if we figures. get some of those cars, we're not going to get those uh, type of published numbers that they get. And you see more diesel just because diesel fuel is cheaper there. They subsidize it and uh, encourage people to do it and tax regular gas more. Um there you go. There's two reasons. That's two reasons right there. Yeah. And a lot of the manufacturers have looked at bringing some of these very small cars into the U.S. And although of people write nice things about them, every time they've tried it, there's been basically no buyers or not enough to warrant the expense of bringing them in. So actually, we're starting to see more of those small cars come in now with things like the Fiat 500 that we've been talking about. Smart. And smart. And uh, so I think that wall has cracked. But if you think you're going to get that same car here, uh, you're wrong because some of our safety standards will add weight to the car, uh, which Mm -hmm. will take the fuel economy down. And our tests are different. Would our our emissions stricter here or or there? Our emissions right now are – I'm not sure on the emissions. Our our fuel economy goals are right at the moment where we're headed with the new CAFE are going to be stricter. Uh, Our emission tests have generally been a little stricter, but I'm not sure. I think they still are. It's pretty close, though. We're getting closer to where you can build one car and sell it. That's what everyone everyone. wants to happen. Yeah. I guess we're getting there. I'm not sure. But. Yeah, it seems like every time we get close, uh, somebody changes a rule. But uh, it has kept a lot of the small diesels out. The diesels have not met our environmental uh, laws. And uh, that's why we're, the Europeans are rushing and spending a lot of money updating all their diesels so they can indeed sell more of them in the U.S. Yeah, that was supposed to change when on the clean sulfur diesel game, but it doesn't seem to have. I mean, it's helped a little bit. We've got a few more diesels, but not as many as people were expecting. No, not at all. Okay, Christopher, I hope that gives you some insight into the answer. And I think that brings to a close. Just buy a Prius uh, our, and enjoy uh, it. What? Just buy a Prius and enjoy it. Don't worry Just about buy a what they're driving it. over there. <laughs> they're actually, they actually would like to see more Priuses. Uh, the Europeans have been very critical that their car makers for a long time didn't give them more hybrids. Uh, you, heard, I, you never see any hybrids over there. Yeah. Okay, our podcast number 87 has come to a close. I want to thank uh, all the folks around the table today. Our producer, writer, and two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Ooh. Our road test producer, Ben Davis. Hello. Writer, Patrick Lucas. Checking in. And assistant producer, Greg Carlos. I'm still here. Also, thank you, Joe, for hitting the bell. And uh, to all of you out there, we want to also thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, and our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. And we enjoy bringing these podcasts to you, and we hope that you'll turn around and watch Motor week on your local public television station and also on the Velocity Cable Channel. Till next time, I'm John Davis. For all of us in Motor Week, thanks very much for watching and listening to Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, 3M, and by Die Hard. 
for additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.